How long must I wait on the phone for my own wife, Henrietta, love of my life? Ever since she opened up an organic gardening center, it's been going great guns. She was inspired as I was inspired by one Mr. Al Crowder, K-R-A-U-T-T-E-R, who's written a book called The Twelve Steps to Natural Gardening. You may have heard me say before that the chemical companies are bamboozling us, putting into the soil that which is killing the soil. Yes, hello, dear. Well, I'd... Yes. Yes. Well, the Brindu, of course. Yes. Yes, their turnips were marvelous. Well, I... I think I'd order the Sunday roast. Mm, yes, yes, yes. I know it's Tuesday, but that's why they're the Brindu can get a Sunday roast any day of the week. Right. Love you too. Love and kisses to Bubbles. Good afternoon, Nigel. Hello, sir. Nigel. Yes, sir. Order of business. You've got a couple more of those saxophone players, correct? Yes, sir. They're, they're in the sitting room, sir. Hmm. Well, let's listen to a few of them. Yes, sir. You could please give me a C, D, an A, and a B, please. Thank you. Yes, sir. First, we'll have some music via Mr. Mortimer Page. Yes, sir. Then we'll have Mr. Ross on to read chapter 20, first chapter in part three of his novel, Hard Water, part three entitled, It's Got to Be Sacred. Yes, sir. This is Mortimer Page. Out the cage. Over the rage. On the stage. Bringing you song selection number Uno, Unmistakable Love by Spencer Burton.
selection Spencer Burton's unmistakable love next up we have Mr. Ross how are you Mr. Ross hey Douglas good how are you doing hey Nigel doing tip top tip 
Tapa. Tell us about what you're going to read us today, Mr. Ross. Well, Douglas, um, I'm going to read chapter 20, which, as you said earlier, first chapter of part three, entitled, It's Got to be Sacred. Hmm. Any surprises for us, Mr. Ross? Um, no, no huge surprises. The men are traveling west, um, trying to make it to Cincinnati and Kentucky and Chicago, and, uh, they're trying to make it through the winter and into spring. No surprises, hmm. I find that to put me in a paralysis of doubt. Well, we'll see, Douglas. Yes, we will. Whenever you're ready, Mr. Ross. Yeah, I'm on. Chapter 20. The bloated badger sow exits upward through her set and snuffles the evening air. She trundles off into the woods apiece, her nose keenly discerning the presence of earthlings, smoke, and fire. Grumbling noises issue forth from her mouth as she defecates explosively into the recumbent copse of May apples. Earthlings, she thinks. No telling what they'll get up to. Best to keep my distance. She scrapes and distributes a smattering of leaf mold and topsoil onto her scat and returns directly to her subterranean set and collapses onto her side, exposing her swollen nipples to her mewling brood. The three men stare into the depths of their crackling fire. Time is and never was, thinks Goodall. Sense of purpose solidified, no fear, just clear thoughts about the beauty of thinking, sinking, drinking, in, the potentialities of the universe, not falling prey to the paralysis of doubt. As the fire dies down, the essence of sleep pulls the three men into their tent and overtakes their waking moments. Nevertheless, Goodall wakes with a scream of a death dream warmed over. He sits up, stares into the darkness, touches his hand to the tent's canvas ceiling, lays back down and is shortly delivered into the grasp of sleep's utter care, consideration, and rejuvenation. Arthur dreams of time's arrow, shooting, shifting, lifting him up and floating him to the swinging steel gate of his Cincinnati orchard. He raises the latch of the gate and walks into the cradling cathedral of trees, beautiful trees. Trees are what I cling to. Trees, beautiful trees. Trees are what I sing to. He regards the robins plying their trade, hip-hopping and copping swollen night crawlers from neath the upturned tufts of grass. 
A mating pair of bluebirds alight on the fence rails for mere moments before they flit and float up on to the outstretched peach tree limb. In Arthur's dream, a May sun shines and the limbs are heavy with robust fruit. Ruth is in his arms. The sun shines on her high cheekbones. And a young ragamuffin child wobbles from side to side and repeats repeatedly, Eat a peach! In Arthur's dream, his beloved wife and child rotate round and round in glorious circles, surrounded by the fertile fuzz of the ripening pendulous fruit. Ah, in his dream, the zigzagging honeybees go about their crucial business of poking in and out of the flowering buds, narrowly averting collisions with their airborne compatriots whose angular azimuths delineate the distance between flower and homey hive. In his dream, he is there, his Ruth is there, his child is there, the bees are there, the sun is there. I'll get there, I'll get there, I'll get. His eyes snap open to the bone cold, crawls out of the tent and begins to tend the dying fire, adds kindling and the flames kick up stalks into the surrounding woods and instinctively secures a twelve-foot limb of downed walnut from within the darkness and drags it back and deposits on the growing conflagration. Repeatedly enters and exits the penumbrous woods, dragging thick limbs of downed poplar, oak, and pine. The crackling, popping, healthy flames draws Kilkenny from the tent. Well, I'll be jiggered, Arthur. You aiming to light the moon on fire? As Kilkenny steps into the dark lip of woods to urinate, Arthur regards the majesty of the climbing, clambering orange flames tearing at the cold black sky and is satisfied. I have done this, he thinks. I brought heat to near freezing air, have enlivened my mates and have punctured the dark foreboding midnight sky with this column of leaping flame. Goodall emerges from his tented den. Holy day, boys, that's some conflagration. Yep, says Kilkenny. That's the good King Arthur's doing. He means to light up the sky. Indeed I do, thinks Arthur, as he trundles back into the wooded darkness in search of more fuel. It is not I, though, who am solely responsible for this largesse of healing heat. The fact is, I am merely a single, solitary collection of bones, skin, cells, atoms, and organs who imperfectly proceeds across the landscape of this life. Nevertheless, 
I am blessed to feel this cold bite of air on my skin, blessed to feel the rough hue and heft of this tree limb's bark, blessed to disappear within this utter darkness, blessed to peer straight into this black and empty void, this overflowing of nothingness, when I turn to witness the conflagration now pulsing 15 or 16 feet into the sky, I regard my boon companions, hands in their pockets, staring at the spot where flame meets night, their upturned faces bathed in a dancing shifting of shadows and light, I return and hand good all a twisted hank of dead wood. Take in the remembrance of the spoiled perfection of your quivering foot, young master Goodall. I hand the rebel Kilkenny a sap-stained pine cone and intone. Take this solitary pine cone Kilkenny, in remembrance of your missing ear. I hold aloft my own hank of twisted oak and lift it in memory of my once steady hand, now steadily, unsteadily shaking, as if on cue The three men toss their imaginary appendages into the raging fire, which, in turn, burns their offerings down to golden nothingness. Not far away, though underground, three mewling badger cubs wriggle, mule, and crawl their unopened eyes following their mother's scent into the grass-laid sanctuary of their subterranean set. Their mewling mouths fill shortly with the life-giving milk from the old sow's tits, and they are satisfied. Kilkenny, Seat, and Goodall sit propped against one another before the fire. Just like the baby badgers, it is not long before the three wounded deserters fall into another round of glorious, hard-won sleep. End of chapter 20. sky tell snow tomorrow though she says it'll just grow colder and she's warm and lovely and she's strange but true could make me sweat though I shan't suffer and we walk Through dark shops With eyes like saucers Cause it's time once more 
make these choices She's got eyes like pistols In the snow Blind Man's Fog by Mr. Jack Hayter, H-A-Y-T-E-R. Thank you, Mortimer, and thank you, Mr. Spencer Burton and Mr. Jack Hayter.
Next time, Nigel, I promise we'll get to more of your poetry. Thank you, sir. Until then, this is Douglas Day signing off for Book Smart Peace.